This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealou, Paul Calvisi, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. Welcome to the offseason, gentlemen. And yes, I realize it is week two and maybe the first full week, but a week ago we were still coming off the high of what was a solid Solid season. The feelings that everyone had, the disappointment losing to the Seahawks. Little did we know that that would be the final game of head coach Pete Carroll. But the positive feelings of what the season overall represented. And now you get back in the building, Paul. The coaches are back. Kudos to head coach Jonathan Gannon giving his staff much of last week off. And now the real work begins. And as we established, there are no days off here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Look, 31 teams end with a loss. That's just the way it works. There's only one team that ends its season with a victory. At least we're doing our radio show on this Tuesday. Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones have already canceled their radio show in Dallas, where the D and Big D definitely did not stand for defense. So there will be change. There will be blood around the league. I know we're going to get into that, but yes, Cardinals go into this offseason. How nice it is not to be wondering who's the next head coach, who's the GM. Yeah, there is a direction with the Arizona Cardinals, but Kyle, it's the finality of everything. As a player, you are so schedule-oriented, and then the season ends, and okay, we're done. And I think this is the week for me that I feel that all right, you kind of now establish a new routine in this offseason. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, it's, it's different for players, particularly, you know, some of these rookies that have been going and going and going, you know, finishing up their college season, um, you know, traveling around, meeting with teams, doing um, whatever all-star game they might be in, preparing for the draft, and then you're right into, you know, offseason work. So uh, some of them, you know, they're definitely going to appreciate a little bit of time off, but yeah, I mean, football, when you are in the National Football League and you're a professional player and a professional athlete, it's what you do. You know, you crave routine. Um, I always hated waking up with nothing to do and nowhere to go. So um, you'll start to see, you know, several players trickle back into this building, get ready to get back to work, either take care of um, nagging injuries, um, get their body right. Um, start working toward next season. And, you know, that's such an encouraging thing when you've had contributions and role players all over this roster. Guys have an opportunity to take a step back, look at what they did good, look at what things they need to work on, and start to think about some of those things. Because, you know, I know we're going to talk about it, but this roster is going to change. It's going to look different. Um, but the, the, a lot of the hard work, the groundwork, the change in the culture, all of those things have happened. And so, you know, these guys know what to expect. They know what the coaches are asking of them. Um, so they can, you know, once they, they get a little time away, once they recover both mentally and physically, they can start to move forward. Cardinals did lose this weekend. They yes, lost, they did. <laughs> they lost more spots in the first round. Stinking C.J. Stroud. Historic rookie season. And you know what? Maybe next year we'll appreciate the effort and the talent of C.J. Stroud. But not right now. 
Two words, brutal, because now it's 25th at best. No lower than 25. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, please, somebody stop. Somebody. Lamar Jackson, MVP, <laughs> stop C.J. Stroud. So we only ask for so much here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. Yes, the offseason is upon us. Yes, there are some moves that have already been made. A dozen players signed to future contracts. And as Kyle alluded to, the 2023 Arizona Cardinals will look, well, I should say, that 2023 Cardinals team will not be the 2024 Cardinals team. Year to year, the roster always changes. Here's head coach Jonathan Gannon. Well, the roster will be different every year, you know what I mean? And, and there'll be a new team, and you kind of got to start from scratch, you know, and that's what we're going to do in the offseason. And then when they get back in the building and then training camp, you know, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I think we have a lot of guys that can play winning football and impact the game in a positive way. And those new players, whether that's free agents, whether that's the rookies or other new faces that come in, they are coming in, Kyle, as we alluded to off the top. There is no GM search. There is no head coach search. There is no staff search. The pieces are in place. The foundation is here. So those new players that are coming in, they, they'll know what is expected of them upon their arrival. Right. And, you know, one of the things I'm excited about, I, I think everybody, uh, at least most Cardinals fans, are really pleased with the job Monty Austinport has done in his short time here. And if you remember when he took this job, um, he, he was kind of um, implementing a hybrid system, you know, it, kind of a mixture of the old scouting system and the new. And he said going into next season, next offseason, that he will fully be able to implement his system, how he wants things run and how he wants his scouting department to go out and, and evaluate players and evaluate players in the draft and, and free agents. So, um, you know, you can expect everything to be even more efficient this offseason. Um, and, it, you know, when a new staff comes in, you've got a new GM, uh, a large part of your offseason and really into the season is evaluating what you have, you know, and, and that evaluation really lasted the entire season because you didn't have an opportunity to work with most of these players. You didn't have an opportunity to see how, you know, not just how they play on Sundays, what they do on, you know, Monday through Saturday to get themselves ready for a game. What type of teammate are they? What type of locker room guys are they? And you could see, you know, that the roster tinkering um, occur throughout the course of the entire season. I mean, even late in the season, players that at the beginning of the season were counted on and depended upon were not a part of this team any longer. So, um, you know, it's it's a constant evolution. Um, this front office and, and coaching staff are not afraid to make changes either um, with personnel or just with your playing time and, and your role on the team. And that's that was a, a message that was sent, and it was loud and clear to the players. You know, you need to buy into the direction of this team. Um, you need to be able to do the things we ask you to do and contribute to this vision and this culture. And if you're not, you're not a part of our future. By the way, one year ago today, the Arizona Cardinals officially named Monty Austin for general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. So one year on the job, and yeah, there was pieces, or they would say, we know what we want, and I remember the, and I'm ad-libbing here, Paul, but that one specific quote that was mentioned by Monty a year ago was, no egos. And if you have one, well, you better check it at the door, otherwise you're just not going to be a part of this team. And it was a process. I mean, it was a process the entire year. You're trying to establish what you want to be, and who's going to be with you going forward. And so they identified those players. I think you can sort of reverse engineer 
as to who they identified as part of the problem instead of the solution based on who was let go before and during the season. But now you have a real good idea. Okay, here's what our roster consists of. Here's what we need, as opposed to a year ago where there was a lot of discovery going on by the new decision makers. And to nail last year's draft class on short notice, really trying to implement you know, the old system, like Kyle said, with the new, but now you have your system in place. I'm real curious to see, especially with 11 draft picks, uh, I mean, because they got return on investment in every single round this year. And they led the NFL in games started by rookies and snaps played by rookies. That's all going to pay off. But I'm real curious as to, uh, okay, who do they identify this year when they had so much success last year on short notice? And there will be expectations upon the 2024 Arizona Cardinals, who those players that are brought in, whether, again, free agency, the draft, or other means, maybe even a trade or two. But that 2024 roster, according to the head coach, yeah, they'll know what's expected. Who's ever back here in 2024, um, they understand what's expected and, and how we operate. And um, if they're back here, I feel really comfortable. Myself and Monty and the coaching staff feels really comfortable about their roles. But um, I always say, like, the price of admission is, is team and then you. And if they're back here in 24, they have that. Who will be back? The Arizona Cardinals have 17 unrestricted free agents. By comparison, a year ago, the Cardinals had... 30 unrestricted free agents, but there are a handful of players I would like to see this team at least entertain bringing back, and I know a lot of it is opportunity and, of course, the almighty dollar, but looking at the list that we have in front of us, Kyle, is there someone on offense, defense, or dare I say even special teams that you would like to see this team bring back either right now or wait until mid-March when the free agency period begins and then you kind of figure out if you're that player what's my value around the league yeah I think you look uh, you know starting with defense I think you got to look at what is the biggest need and and where is the cupboard the most empty you know I think um, when healthy LJ Collier and, and Carlos Watkins were key contributors to that defensive front um, to me, that's where, particularly on defense, the, the front and the cornerback position are, are the biggest areas of need. And you don't want to go into the offseason with the cupboard completely empty. You need to bring back guys that know the system, um, that showed that they could play in this system, that were effective. While they may not be necessarily game changers, um, they are valuable members. And they, they played through a lot this year. And, and again, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss any of these players because one of the things I loved about this team and the way this season ended is everybody battled to the very end, even when they had nothing to play for and the chips were against them, you know, injuries at, at key positions and, and um, you know, just a lot of on-the-field adversity. You know, there wasn't the off-the-field adversity this year. There was a lot of on-the-field. And, and so these guys proved that they are warriors and they will battle. So um, I'm not going to discount anybody, but um, I think the defensive front will be key to have depth um, because of the number of injuries this year. Um, on offense, you know, again, Hollywood Brown did not get to have the season he wanted to have because of injury or because of um, lack of chemistry. Um, you know, it, it took him – it seems like he, he didn't necessarily – fit what this offense was looking for, particularly early in the season. But we all know what he can do. We know the type of player he can be when healthy. So, um, you know, I, I think, that, you know, offensively, this team has the potential to be an offensive juggernaut next year. When three of your last four games against playoff 
either playoff teams or teams battling for playoff position, they have over 400 yards of offense and over 200 yards rushing in three of their last four games. So this offense was peaking at the end of the season. Um, and then, you know, I, I think you, you mentioned special teams. Um, Blake Gillikin was a find for this team. He's got a live leg. He can, um, you know, he, he, he did a fantastic job punting for this team this year. So um, I would think that if you can get him back at the right price, I would bring him as well. I know Paulie always pays particular attention to the specialist, i.e. the punter, but Gillikin, a franchise record 50.6-yard average, and his net, just under 44 yards, was top 10 in the league. So, yeah, special teams, Paul, we only talk about it when things go wrong. How about when things go right, i.e. the punter? And did you name Aaron Brewer once all season long? No, you did not. So that's a really good reflection on your long snapper, right? It's sort of like the official. When you don't name him, then guess what? He's doing an excellent job. So I'm all about about both those guys coming back. Now, as for Hollywood Brown, you know my affinity for Hollywood Brown. And let's face it, this offense suffered from the lack of big play, the big strike, the three-play drive. They didn't have very many of those, right? A three-play touchdown drive. And and so Hollywood Brown, he just keeps the defense honest, and they did not maximize – his production. What he put on film was a lot different than what he put onto the box score. So if you can get something done, even a one-year prove-it deal, I'm all about bringing Hollywood Brown back. And in addition to the D-line, because I, I, I agree with Kyle on that one, I'll throw in Antonio Hamilton. You're really thin at corner. And is he a one or two on this team? No. But a third or fourth corner, and he has good size, and he's the ability to play inside and play the nickel. I think he's a really versatile guy, Antonio Hamilton, who will not get you beat. Great in zone and uh, one of those team leaders. I would identify him as part of the solution. You need a veteran in that room as far as cornerback is concerned, especially if there's a youth movement this offseason at that position. But again, it all comes down to the leadership of the general manager, the head coach, something Kyler Murray mentioned postgame after Week 18. It's like refreshing. Just, um, you know, to have, you know, guys upstairs that, you know, believe in it and really speak to it and, and hold everybody accountable. You know, it, it trickles down, you know, it starts at the top. You know, and I think every, you know, great organization, business understand, you know, it starts at the top and, and the guys really believe in what they're preaching. You know, I'm very confident in what, what we got going. How key is that, Kyle? You've been in that locker room as far as what is being told to you, whether that's the head coach or the general manager, that connection between front office coaching staff, and yeah, the quarterback may be a little bit different than some of the other players on the roster, but that feeling in the locker room knowing that, okay, we've got our leaders, I trust what they're going to do this offseason to put us in a better position than we were a year ago. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, that both Monty Ossiford and Jonathan Gannon did from the beginning was lay out expectations. This is what we expect from the, these players, um, and, and they themselves lived it. And, um, it, it, you know, when, when a head coach says one thing um, but then lets things slide on the practice field, lets things slide in the meeting room, uh, players don't believe in that head coach. And, um, you know, Jonathan Gannon, to me, pushed all the right buttons, both with Kyler Murray and this entire roster in, you know, just developing relationships. Like there's a trust there between him and the players. And, um, you know, with that trust also comes, you know, consequences at times. Like you as a player, if you don't hold up your end of the deal, if you can't be trusted by the coach, then, you know, tough decisions have to be made. Um, but, you know, belief in, in, in this belief is not 
just in that locker room. I think this belief, again, is with the Arizona Cardinals fan base, and, and it, it provides us excitement going into the next season. But, um, you know, the three biggest things when you are a team that's rebuilding and trying to establish a culture is you've got the right guy, you know, making the decisions in the GM. You've got the right guy at head coach leading this team, and you have the right guy under center. And I think, you know, for the first time in a long time, the fans believe in all three and, and the direction that this team is going. Here's the other thing. It was a physical team, right? When the Steelers, after that loss at home in December, say, man, we got our bleeps kicked. When you had a team that, other than the Rams' loss, that was the only lackluster game. Otherwise, you had a team that would consistently come back from halftime, and you had a team that was smart with the football. Only five teams had fewer turnovers this year than the Arizona Cardinals, and that's playing different quarterbacks over the course of the season. So those winning stats were there. That mentality and formula for a winning team was there. A lot to look forward to, and yes, a lot of work that needs to be done this offseason. Again, free agency comes first, and then the draft in April. Speaking of the draft, the Cardinals in 2023, those first-year players who stepped up, who do we want to see step up moving forward, maybe a part of this future moving forward? This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Snap to Murray. Blitz coming. Murray backing up. Close into the end zone. Middle of the end zone. Pulled in by Wilson for a touchdown. I told you all from day one, you know, I watched his senior bowl, and I was like, yeah, that kid knows, you know, he knows what he's doing. I could tell, you know, and then just obviously he had zero catches uh, two weeks in a row. And that's not, you know, again, they're not a real representation of, you know, what I think we could be. Now we'll get a full offseason on our belt. Uh, you know, I, I think next year, you know, Mike will have a big year. Had a big year his first season, but it can get even better in year two. They say your biggest improvement from year one to year two. Jonathan Gannon made that mention at his year-end presser one week ago, and I pose that question to you, Kyle. You played the game. You had that year one to year two jump. I mean, yeah, you have to put in the work, but as you mentioned as we began here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats, these rookies, these first-year players have been going nonstop since their final year in college, so now you get a break and really dive into the playbook and what you specifically need to do, whether that's on offense, defense, or special teams. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is you have a full offseason to work on your NFL craft. You know, none of these rookies were given that benefit. They were trying to find a team. Um, uh, they were, you know, getting assimilated into a new city, um, learning a new playbook, learning how the NFL game works and, and what it takes both mentally and physically to prepare your body and mind each week. Um, you know, being thrown a new game plan each and every week and having to adjust what you do. Um, again, there's no better teacher uh, of football than than your own film. And that's the benefit of having, you know, not just for Michael Wilson, but an entire rookie class that was counted on so often that was used throughout the course of this season. They've got live game reps. They can go back and watch and learn and see what their deficiencies are, what things they can do to improve their game. Um, and, you know, again, I know we talked about this way back after the draft. It seems like Every rookie that they brought in, they're, they're students of the game. They want to get better. They want to learn from uh, both their peers and the veterans and and learn from their own game film. And I think that that's going to be the benefit. I mean, look, um, it, you know, Michael Wilson at times 
this season flashed like he could be, you know, either a fringe number one or a number two receiver on this team, um, making big plays, having strong hands, running good routes. Um, and, you know, the way he finished the season gives him that ultra confidence entering an offseason. So, you know, I, I like Kyler Murray and like a lot of Cardinals fans think he's going to make that big jump because it is tough at, at any position. It's tough to jump in your rookie season and just step in and be a playmaker and to be somebody that an offense can count on every single week. Wilson finished fourth on the team in receptions, third in receiving yards, led the team with almost 15 yards a catch, and that's a number, Paul, that when you have that height on the outside and you can beat your guy off the line of scrimmage, you don't need to have that 4-4 speed, 4-3 speed. Larry Fitzgerald didn't do it, but he had great technique and was able to out-jump defenders. And I think Michael Wilson, again, I'm not comparing, comparing Wilson with Fitz, but that playmaker on the outside maybe there's another one that gets added this offseason but someone like that that can really to your point make those shorter scoring drives to where you don't have to go eight nine ten plays before you get into the end zone and you know what you're, you're targeting an out you know down the field and just the size to be able to reel it in on the sideline you know whether it's a fade whether it's a back shoulder Larry was a master at obviously getting his body between the defender and the football Michael Wilson has that ability, has that size. I mean, I was watching Puka Nakua, right, in the playoff game. What a phenomenal rookie season for a fifth-round pick. And I'm thinking to myself, Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson has the same exact measurables, has those same strong hands. If you can get a full-year healthy Michael Wilson and you get a Kyla Murray and get them in sync like they were in the last couple of games, you know, Matthew Stafford delivering the ball in sync on the money, and you can get some other threats out there on offense, a balanced run game. I easily can see Michael Wilson have a 1,000-yard receiving season next year. I'm not sure he's going to replicate the numbers of Apuka Nakua, but I mean, he has that, that brand of game, that physical, I'm breaking the first arm tackle. These corners aren't going to tackle me. You're going to need two or three of them. That's what I see in his future. And he'll put in the work because he is that type of person because he wants to be that type of of player. Here is Michael Wilson the day after the season talking about his role not only for himself but for the Arizona Cardinals. I feel extremely responsible to play at a high level for him because I'm playing for his legacy. Right, being a Heisman Trophy winner, being a number one pick, being a franchise quarterback, we signed a big contract. He's got a lot of responsibility and I want to make sure I'm playing at a high level to play a, you know, a positive role in his story. Wilson there talking about Kyler Murray, and again, you have to have your quarterback in place and everyone else play with the quarterback and have players understand their own role within that offensive system. There you have Michael Wilson talking about, yeah, it's about the quarterback because how successful he is is how successful we all are. And you have to earn your quarterback's trust. And I think that moment came in an area of adversity on the 99-yard pick six at Philly. Because in that same interview, Michael Wilson went on to say that it was critical for him to hear from Kyler Murray after the game. You know, okay, you know, I trusted you. He thanked him for that. He sent him a text message because he continued to go his way with targets the rest of that game. And then you saw the way the two of them were able to finish the last three halves of the season. And that really was a pivotal turning point, I think, in the relationship between quarterback and receiver. And Michael Wilson took a lot of the blame. He said, you know what, I wasn't 
doing enough to deliver for my franchise quarterback. I had to be better, and you saw the difference down the stretch. Wilson started 12 games, second most in that 2023 rookie class, behind only Paris Johnson, who started every single game, played every single snap as a right tackle. question now is with... D.J. Humphreys going down to an ACL injury, and he's to have surgery either this month or next month. How long is Humphreys going to be out? There's an opening at left tackle. Paris Johnson, again, day after the season, asked about which side of the ball he might be playing next season. I just want to be a part of the best five, and where I'm at on the line is dependent on um, on them. But definitely this offseason, I'm going to continue to train both sides just to be ready, you know. So when my number's called, if it's called to go to the left, I can be able to step right in. So I'm definitely going to um, take this offseason to work on both sides. You hear Paris Johnson, you hear Michael Wilson, again goes back to Monty Austin Ford a year ago today saying there will be no egos. It's the head coach saying it's team before me. Well, that's exactly what we just heard from both Paris and Michael. Yeah, both uh, selfless players. And again, um, I think that epitomizes this rookie class. Um, it, you know, they both could – he he knows, uh, most people know, uh, left tackles, uh, you know, when their second contract comes around, you're going to get paid a lot more money than a right tackle. However, you know, the game has changed a lot. When I played, the best pass rusher was always on the left, the quarterback's blind side, and the best pass protector – or I mean, was always on the right, I'm sorry. And the best pass protecting offensive lineman is always your left tackle. That's not the case anymore. Um, When there's an elite pass rusher, teams put him everywhere on the football field, all across the the offensive line, trying to take advantage of matchups, trying to take advantage of, you know, where the quarterback's windows are. There's a lot more that goes into it. Um, And, you know, to me, uh, the biggest thing, I, I think we all knew the type of athlete he was with his measurables, with his arm length, with his athleticism, with his light feet, that he could be really good in in pass pro. To me, I was really impressed with how well he did in the run game this year, moving people off the line of scrimmage. Um, and, you know, that's that's what you look for most of the times in a right tackle, somebody that you can trust to take care of either that defensive end to double team that dominant three technique that you're going up against. Um, he's, he's a complete player. So he could, I mean, he has and can play anywhere on that offensive line. But you do love just, you know, that selflessness, team first, um, saying I will do and I will play wherever the coaches ask me to play and whatever helps this team win ball games. His final season at Ohio State, he started the whole year at left tackle and it was mid-season or so, I asked him in the locker room because there was a there was a moment where DJ Humphreys got nicked up and I said, what sort of challenge would it be for you mid-season to go back to left tackle? And he said, one practice. Give me one practice just to get the footwork down again. So he's a guy who's played on either side during his college career. He's fully confident. If asked, he'd be able to do it. Let's be honest, you're the sixth pick overall. That should be a realistic expectation to play left tackle if required. But to Kyle's point, think of all the guys who came off the right side of the O-line this year. He got almost a full game of T.J. Watt, Montez Sweat. Aaron Donald specifically came over him a lot just because he was a rookie and 99 was going to test him. Uh, Nick Bosa came to that side a lot. So today's premier pass rushers, Micah Parsons, all over the front. So he saw a lot of dudes, a lot of the elite guys, and a lot of them lined up right over him at right tackle. Speaking of pass rush, the one rookie that I would love to see make that jump from year one to year two, if you're going to ask me about that 2023 rookie draft class, it's B.J. Ojolari. 
He's the only one that did not start. John Gaines was on IR all season long. But Ojolari, can he make that jump and be that pass rusher? He doesn't need double-digit sacks, but we talk about the lack of a pass rush, especially how the season ended. But can he affect the quarterback and make some turn some of those plays into negative plays for this Cardinals defense? Yes, absolutely. I, I think just watching him play, um, he's got a tremendous get-off. He's got a tremendous feel for the game. He can really bend and corner. Um, you know, I to me, in order for him to get on the field more and be more of an every-down player, he does need to, you know, probably put on, you know, 5, 10 pounds and, and be more stout in the run game. Um, but, yeah, it, he not only can, but he needs to. This is another player that – um, because of injury, missed most of the offseason and, and missed training camp and um, you know didn't get an opportunity to perfect his craft, didn't get an opportunity to work on the things that the coaches were asking him to work on um, until the this regular season hit and he was kind of thrown into the mix. So um, I'm excited to see what he can do with a full offseason of work with this coaching staff. 11 different rookies started at least one game for the Cardinals in 2023. 64 starts by rookies, whether that's the draft class or players who went undrafted or claimed in the case of Starling Thomas and Elijah Higgins. And I know a lot of fans don't want to hear it because they might want Marvin Harrison Jr. But you need to get to the quarterback. Do you see what happened in that Lions playoff game? When the Rams did not pressure Jared Goff, he went 22 of 22. You gotta get to the quarterback. This team had one sack in the final six games, and for those six games, they had two quarterback hits or fewer. It's vital, it's imperative. And so, is that guy there at four? If not, trade down and maximize the numbers. We'll see what they do. By the way, nice segue there, Paul, because we're gonna talk about the playoffs as we continue here. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Jordan Love drops to his left knee. That'll do it. The Green Bay Packers are the first seven seed ever to win a playoff game. They dominate in Dallas. They end the Cowboys season with a 48-32 win. The Green Bay Packers will go to San Francisco and take on the 49ers in the divisional round next week. And for Dallas, another heartbreaking end to a season. The Cowboys won the NFC East came in with high hopes. Those hopes are dashed. The Packers end their 16-game home winning streak with a 16-point win. Green Bay plays on, and the Cowboys are going home. Cowboys, the first team to win at least 12 games in three straight playoff seasons without making a conference title game. Heck, they didn't even get out of Super Wild Card weekend. Losing to the Packers... Ryan Ratke on Westwood One with the final call of a 48-32 Green Bay win. And really, Kyle, it was not even that close. The Packers dominated. It was 27-7 at halftime, 34-10 midway through the third quarter. They pulled most of their offensive starters, had to bring them back just to make sure it didn't get too much closer than that. But you talk about a beatdown in Dallas, that was impressive by Green Bay. Yeah, I think to me that's the biggest surprise of uh, Super Wild Card Weekend was that game and how quickly it just got out of control. I mean, it's every time I looked up, um, you know, the Packers had another touchdown. And, um, you know, I, I had heard, and, and to be honest with you, I hadn't watched much Packers football this year, but I had heard how well Jordan Love was playing and, um, you know, they didn't miss Aaron Rodgers and 
Um, he's starting to look like the future of the franchise, um, but he really did. And for a young player, um, relatively inexperienced, to go out there in his first playoff game to do the things he did to um, throw the ball the way he did, but more importantly, to have the poise that he had throughout that game, throwing three touchdowns. Aaron Jones ran for three touchdowns, and um, you know the, the Packers look like a, a team that's going to you know be tough to beat in this playoffs. I mean, with their confidence going to Dallas. Now I understand. Next up, they got to go to San Fran, and that's going to be a tall task for them. But, um, you know, I was thoroughly impressed uh, with the Green Bay Packers, and I didn't expect to be um, impressed. I expect Dallas to win the game easily, and, um, you know, a, a tremendous credit to that team and that coaching staff. It's the beauty of the NFL playoffs, right? How unpredictable it can be. Five of the six home teams won, and the only home team that didn't had won 16 straight at home. That was Dallas. They got out hit, they got out coached. I don't know what was going on with C.D. Lamb. I mean, did his dog die before the game? He looked completely out of sorts. And then, you know, hey, if you want to throw the whole Dan Quinn, he's got his name in about five different head coaching hats. Hmm, did that impact his preparation? We've heard that narrative before. A defensive coordinator who's in play for a head coaching gig, and then all of a sudden the defense doesn't look game ready. Uh yeah. Dallas had some serious issues, but man, they just get out physical in so many different ways. And to have all that talent and get so little in return at home, you got to figure that there will be blood in Dallas. Yeah, just what kind of changes will happen with the Cowboys, whether that's on the coaching staff, so the roster decisions that need to be made. But again, tip of the cap to the Packers, who will play the 49ers in San Francisco. That is the night game on Saturday, January 20th on Fox. The other NFC game on Sunday will have Tampa Bay at Detroit. The Buccaneers beat the Eagles 32-9. The Lions beat the Rams 24-23. Great game between the Lions and Rams, Buccaneers, and the Eagles. Again, the free fall for Philadelphia. And how about this, Paul? It reminds me of the 2021 Cardinals who started 10-2, lost 4-5, and were 1-done in the playoffs. Eagles started 10-1, lost 5-6, 1-done in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, first off, as for Tampa, uh, you know, when do you bet on Baker Mayfield? When no one's betting on Baker Mayfield. That's when he's at his best, right? When no one gives him a chance, he just has that ability to rally in the face of uh, all the doubters and haters out there. But the Eagles, something is seriously wrong. It looked to me like the Eagles' defense just decided to use the change of defensive coordinator as an excuse to mail in the rest of the year. They played with zero intensity. I mean, that, that tackling was utterly atrocious in that game. How many drop balls in that game? Uh, the Eagles, something is seriously wrong from the inside out. And now you lost Jason Kelsey, you know, the heartbeat of that offensive line, the best offensive line in the game. And so, uh, yeah, the Eagles have some serious decisions to make uh, going forward. Of course, the game of the weekend, at least for me, Kyle, was the Lions and Rams and just the storylines between the two quarterbacks, Detroit's first playoff win in more than 30 years, and now you've got a pair of former number one overall picks who were discarded by the teams that selected them meeting next Sunday in Golf and Baker Mayfield, but either one, Lions, Rams, or Buccaneers, Eagles, what, what stood out to you more than another? Well, I love that Detroit game. Um, you know, I, I played there my last three years in the league. Um, I, I was fortunate that two of those years we went to the playoffs. And, 
you know, Coach Swartz was my court coach at the time, and he's talked about this city's a sleeping giant. Like, if we can win a playoff game, this city's going to go nuts. And you saw that. You saw how crazy those fans were, how much they loved being there, having a home game, and, and being there supporting the team. That environment was just wild. And the, and the decibel levels from those fans, I mean, I don't know how the, the players could hear after that. Um, I, I'm just happy for the team, happy for the city of Detroit, who, you know, a long-suffering franchise – um, who have a real opportunity to continue to win um, next week having another home game. But um, it, it was a real battle. Um, you know, it was, to me, probably the most entertaining game to watch this weekend. Um, I think both quarterbacks played really well in that game. Um, it's just, you know, Stafford just came up a little bit short. Um, but he himself, you know, he's, he's a, a former teammate of mine, um, showed a lot of toughness, you know, had a hand injury early in that game, got beat, hit a little bit, um, and continued to go out there and play and, and make plays for his team. But, um, you know, I the, honestly, um, just looking at the, the Lions and how far they are along in their rebuild, it, it reminds me a lot of the Cardinals. And I know Paulie's talked about this in the past, but that was the first thing Dan Campbell did when he get, took that job was start changing the culture and find the players that fit his culture. And I feel like that's exactly where the Cardinals are. And you can expect, at least I expect, the same type of turnaround with this team. Yeah, you hope the Lions are a case study for Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals, right? What Dan Campbell has done. They won three games their first year. They started the second year one and six. That was last season. And then it turned. They won... They won out almost, and then they beat the Packers and knocked them out of the playoffs then last season. And then look at them this year as a number two seed. They just won. They, they Think about this. Their second playoff win as a franchise since 1957. So to Kyle's point, when I moved to Chicago, everyone said, yeah, the Cubs can win, the Bulls can win, the Blackhawks. But if the Bears win, this is a Bears town. Same with Detroit. You've seen the Tigers and the Pistons and the Red Wings all win titles. If the Lions can make a run to a Super Bowl, I mean, the 3-1-3, the D, as Eminem says, will come unglued. Lions get another home playoff game on Sunday. They'll host the Buccaneers. That is the first game on that Sunday. By the way, the Lions beat the Bucks in Week 6. So there is some history between those two teams, although Tampa Bay playing much better now than they were middle of the season. We'll look at the AFC playoff picture next here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. And that should do it. Five seconds left. Snowballs come flying. And the Buffalo Bills, thanks to a 31-17 victory over the Steelers, will return to the AFC Divisional Round where next week they'll take on the Kansas City Chiefs here at home. Mahomes Allen. Again. Right here in Buffalo. That's what you want. Two of the best quarterbacks battling it out in the division round. In this atmosphere Oh, as it's well. going to be rocking. Yeah, the first two Mahomes Allen meetings happened at Arrowhead next Sunday. It will be in Buffalo. Tom McCarthy, Tony Baselli on Westwood 1. The final call as the Bills beat the Steelers 31-17, a game that was postponed from Sunday. And I may or may not have texted Paul Calvisi Sunday afternoon saying, hey, look, this is what's going on in Buffalo. Thankfully, the game is not going to be played today. Although I'll say this, Cardinals do go to Buffalo next season, Paul. You better hope it's not a game in December. You got Buffalo, you got Lambeau, you got a game in Miami next year. So, uh, yeah, let's hope they're in the proper months, okay? So you don't have to deal with all that. I mean, uh, 
I, I give it up to Bills fans because it was like an hour before kickoff, and it appeared like two thirds of the stadium <laughs> was still filled completely with snow. How do you even get to your seat? How do you even find your seat? Yet they made it happen. I guess almost all the fans were standing to start the game because the seats were still filled with snow, and then they started throwing it like confetti and celebrating as they went out there. And then uh, you know, God help the Steelers fans who actually made the trek to Buffalo because apparently they were drilled from behind by an endless supply of snowballs. All the Steeler fans who were in attendance. The field was perfect. The stands though covered with snow. And then you have the Chiefs beating the Dolphins twenty-six to seven. It was minus four at kickoff. The fourth coldest game in NFL history. My guess is, Kyle, if you had to choose whether you wanted to play in snow or just frigid temperatures, you would choose play in the snow. Oh, absolutely. Snow games are kind of fun, um, unless the footing is so bad you can't, you're slipping and falling on your face the whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I've talked about this before. The, the, the longer I went in my career, I hated those cold games. I don't know if my blood thinned out or what, but um, it, was, it was difficult. I, I was one of those guys through 10 years, would not wear sleeves uh, just to show how tough I was. And then, you know, my last couple of years, it was all about comfort and, and not being freezing out there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, that Chiefs game, it just, I, uh, Mike McDaniel, have you ever seen anybody look so cold in your life? Like his face was yeah. red and yellow at the same time. And I don't, I don't know how he just looked absolutely miserable. And um, it's, it's, it's a true advantage. I mean, and, and again, um, you know, I know we're talking playoffs. I, I look back at the Cardinals and the way they played late in the season, um, both in Pittsburgh and Philly. That's playoff football. You're going to play games in, in, in cold weather, in, in tough environments, and I think that that's going to serve them well going forward. And look, I, I know you're going to call me Paulie Pencilneck, but I hate to see games that are decided by such a large margin by the weather itself, by the conditions. But you, that's home field advantage. I get it. But, I mean, it's not even – it's survival versus football. When you come from a warm-weather city and you go into that sort of atmosphere – I told this story, and I'll tell it again real quick. The Cardinals' 2008 snow game at New England, the assistants for New England said after the game, we knew we were going to win and we we're going to kill you guys because right before kickoff, your entire team was in front of the heat blower. We didn't have a single player in front of our heat blowers because they're all used to the conditions. I get it. It's home field. I just, uh, you know, it, to see the way – and then to see, like, Patrick Mahomes have his own heat locker for his helmet <laughs> – that was an interesting report. See, that's where you need sideline reporters, okay? He just didn't have the hi-hat on the back of the bench where you put your helmet. He had his own little heat locker. Now, it didn't help him, and his, his helmet ended up breaking during that game. But it, it, is a, it is a true home field advantage. There's no doubt about it. Hey, if the Dolphins are upset, there's an easy solution. I get it. Win more games to where you're hosting yeah. a playoff game. Now, I understand uh, the blizzard conditions you can't play because that was a – that was a travel issue for fans, emergency vehicles, and the teams themselves, but there was nothing wrong with playing. Although, again, wind chill minus 27 as that Chiefs-Dolphins game was kicked off on Saturday night. And again, Chiefs and Bills next Sunday, January 21st at 4.30 Arizona time. The other AFC game, we kind of alluded to it earlier here on the Arizona Cardinals radio network, and that was the Texans beating the Browns 45 to 14 Texans will now face the Ravens Ravens beat the Texans all the way back in week one 25 to 9 but why this game stung so much it was the first game of Super Bowl or should say Super Wild Card weekend but now the Texans stay alive and the Cardinals own the Texans first round draft pick and that pick is now no lower than 25 
And if the Packers should lose and if the Buccaneers should lose and the Texans lose, then that pick becomes number 27 because you go by records and all of a sudden wow. the Cardinals can't catch a break when it comes to that. But again, that's that's for later on in the discussion. C.J. Stroud yeah. is just amazing. I just love the unknowns. Like Guys like C.J. Stroud, you don't know. Like I don't know what the Vegas line on that was, but I do know all the analysts in the studio and all the pregame shows unanimously took Cleveland. You don't know what C.J. Stroud is capable of. You don't know what Jordan Love is capable of. These guys are unproven unknowns on the big playoff stage, so it's so intriguing to find out you know, in real time what they're made of and what they're capable of. Yeah, and it goes to show, and we probably already talked about how great the NFL game is and playoffs are because you just don't, you know, you just want to punch your ticket because everybody's got a chance. Well, you know, this roster, this Houston roster, was viewed as the worst roster entering this season. And, you know, what you get from that game, it's it's probably the two – uh, coach of the year candidates playing against each other. Um, you know, a young, inexperienced quarterback against an old, wily vet who has a who has won a Super Bowl. Um, just a lot of storylines in that game. And yeah, the the Texans. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud was was great. Showed poise. Was putting the ball where it needed to go. Um, you know, and they're dealing with injuries as well. But they went out there and played a, a great game against um, what was the number one defense in the league and moved the ball at will. C.J. became the youngest quarterback to win a playoff game as Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski said post-game, quote, we picked a bad day to have a bad day. Look, uh, if you get the head coach and the quarterback right, the possibilities are endless in the NFL. That masks a lot of other deficiencies and talent deficits. So hopefully that's something, once again, that is a case study for the Arizona Cardinals. Jonathan Gannon, Kyler Murray. And then, you know, you don't have to have the world's best roster. If you have those two spots correct, that can go a long way in the NFL. We are all Ravens fans, though, next Saturday when the Texans play the Ravens. And hopefully that pick doesn't drop any further than it already has here in the month of January. And hopefully it's really cold in Baltimore for an indoor team like the Texans. Special thanks to Jim Omohundro, Cody Fincher, Matt Lazarus, for Paul Calvisi, Kyle Vandenbosch. I'm Craig Riolu. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. It is caught by McBride, and it's a touchdown. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.